It's not that cold, but it's raining just very little bit. Here you go. Yeah, no, I'll put Nan in front. Are you sure? Yeah, yeah, of course, love. Thank I'm you very much. This is Nan Fitzgerald, 84 years old. Nan, her good friend Eileen Sherrard and I, are off to their book club. We wait in the car beside the Marfitts pub in Lysada for our second lift, this one to McCroom. Nan has lived here all her life, so long, that she remembers when Ma Fitz rode side saddle. Actually, she was a great horsewoman, really. She used to ride side saddle. How did she do that without falling off now? Oh, I don't know. The shape of the saddle was so good that they sat into it, okay. you know. One knee was sort of higher than the other, so they were, they were balanced. Oh, yes, yes. And they didn't fall off that Amazing. much, you know. Before our lift arrives and we are whisked off to McCroom, Nan asks me if I'll be recording this evening. So you're going to do more of your work tonight, uh, Jules? I am, if that's OK. I'm just going to be very quiet and behave myself, Nan. <laughs> and I do. On the third Tuesday of every month, 12 women meet to talk about a novel. Their homes are mostly scattered in the West Cork countryside. Once a month, these 12 women meet in each other's homes to hear one of them present their research on their chosen book before the field is opened for a wrestle with literature. And they've been doing this for nearly 40 years. This is their story. The literary dozen are Patsy, Nan, Lee, Pat... Siobhan, Imelda, Greta, Mary, Eileen, Seska, Deirdre and Marsha. I hope you got all that, because there's a test at the end. January 2012, and 12 women toast the new year and remember how their book club got started. In Ireland in 2012, book clubs are hugely popular, but in the 1970s, almost no one had heard of them. Marsha Rickson, an American who had recently arrived in Ireland, had. Arala, County Cork, 1974. Unlikely as it sounds, it all started with a pottery class. And Marcia, were you no. doing pottery at that time as well? Yeah. Uh, we, were all, we were all doing pottery. Yeah. 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 We were all pottery. From pottery to literature, but not before Marcia suggests something else. Yeah, we suggest poetry. And we bring our husbands. And we decide. And I remember saying, Marky, you're in Ireland. Don't see any of our husbands coming to In 1974, the ladies are absolutely not having their husbands invited to poetry readings, and not since either. I moved here in 1979, and Marcia invited me to join then, because most of the people lived either McCroom or Farron or. Uh, I've been in Ireland since 77. I joined the book club in 1978. Uh, I moved here in 1982, and a friend of my husband's asked me to join in 1982, so I'm pretty much in it since I've been in Ireland. Well, I joined it over 30 years ago, about 32 or 33 years ago. Uh, I was introduced to it by a friend 
who since moved to Australia? Either the autumn of 75 okay. or the year following. Been in the book club from the very beginning? I wasn't a member at the beginning. I was Actually, I'm one of the last members. There's, I've been there about 20, 25 years, and there's only one other person that's coming after me. Book Club Maths Started in 1974, on the third Tuesday of every month, for eight months a year, equals 280 books. Twelve women, seven Irish, three English, two American, twelve husbands, various, 43 children, 52 grandchildren, and one book club. Where are you from, Nan? Where were you born? I'm from Crookstown, Belmont Mills, Crookstown. And uh, well, Howard was my maiden name. Nan was christened Hannah, but hated the name and insisted on being called Nan. She married Teddy Fitzgerald and moved into Carrigdarrowy House in Lysada, where she reared a family of five with resilience and love, before retiring next door with a twinkle in her eye and her sense of humour intact. When she was in her 40s, she started going to the book club. Nan has a unique place in the group. Pat remembers visiting Carrigdarrowy House in the early days. It was part of the whole, what I imagined had to be, in this wonderful old house and grounds and in a beautiful part of the country. A little bit shabby, a little bit run down, but that was part of its gentility. I think that was it, a gentility there. And lots of history, lots of photos. Well, Nan, <laughs> Nan's great. Um, and I've always teased Nan. I would look on Nan as kind of being the mother of the book club, that she would have been, and oh, tut, 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 there shouldn't have been that bad word. Or, you know, how could you read that? You know, that that was so... Not, I can't even think of the word Nan uses, but if there was a sexual scene in it or whatever, I couldn't read that. You know, so she would have been the the moral mother <laughs> of the book club and within the book club. And I think we're one of the oldest, dare I say, in Ireland, because we didn't hear of anyone else at the time, you know. It's amazing how many people from the beginning are still there. This is Marsha Rickson again. Marsha's important in this story because without her, there wouldn't be a book club. She came to Ireland from the US in the mid-1970s with a master's degree in literature from Berkeley, a Quaker background, and a familiarity with the curious social practice of book clubs. And in America, it was quite popular to have uh, book, book groups, but I hadn't encountered one here before, so we decided we'd have a go. Then I came here, always uh, lo loving books and loving literature and loving language. And then when I went to live out in the countryside in Ireland, um, I found I could sort of continue by, you know, having this book club to discuss things with. Marsha is a listener, a lover of silence as well as talk, and her quiet presence steers the group, though rarely dominates it. A lot of people, um, Ian, when they started this, they, they weren't... Um, they weren't very fond of reading anything very challenging or anything outside their comfort zone. 
And I, and I think more and more they, they do. We, we try to read a fair few classics, you know, one or two a year, and we you know, try to read things that, um, you know, are, are maybe a bit difficult, things that we wouldn't finish or wouldn't choose if we didn't, didn't have to. So it's, um, you know, it's, it's been good for us all. In January 2012, the group's chosen book is Small Wars by Sadie Jones, a novel about Englishness and the military set in British-occupied Cyprus of the 1950s, a book that gets everybody talking about torture, war, masculinity and emotion. Well, the army doesn't come out of it very well, does it? Oh, no. No, no one else at all. And the, well, not, the torture. I'm not surprised at that. And the waterboarding. Yeah. Um, these discussions pull at the tangle of story and follow its connection to history, politics and national identity. But it is also a space to work over the experience of these women sitting in a living room once a month. There is 30 years between the youngest and oldest members of the book club, and this mingling of generations often makes itself felt in their discussions. Small Wars brings up the issue of marital rape for Lee and Nan. He never did feel that he was violating her, even though he did. Mm. But he I mean, was her husband, wasn't he? Uh, yeah, but he was well, the book also brings up specific connections to family and personal experience for Siobhan. My brother has served with the UN about three or four times. He actually served for two years in Cyprus. And I never recall either of them talking very much about their feelings. Daddy was in the Congo. He was in the first battalion to go out into the Congo in 1960-61. Never really talked about it. He talked about the atrocities, all right, committed mm. by the um, guerrillas, the African guerrillas, all right, who massacred, as you know, Irish troops out there. But... He, Neither of them have ever, and other family friends have never really talked about their feelings, mm. you know, in those kinds of situations. If you were in that job, you would suppress all feelings. You would. If you had feelings, there's no business there. there. Yes. Yeah. Because you couldn't cope with no, what yeah, goes yeah. on. Yeah. Your, job is to serve. your job is to serve. And Patsy on her father-in-law. I, I loved the book. I absolutely loved it. I, it made me cry. I had to keep stopping. And, oh, really? And what it was. But I know why. I know why. And the reason why is a picture over there. It's my dad-in-law. He's a, he was a man of conscience, and he would have always said, at any cost, do not go to war. There's nothing noble Absolutely about no. it. Yeah. Nothing. And my dad-in-law was court-martialed twice because of not doing what he should do, was told to do. Court-martialed twice because of his conscience. And neither time was he punished because he was right. when we came back late from the hyacinth garden your arms full and your hair wet I could not speak and my eyes failed I was neither living nor dead and I knew nothing that's a description of how the way I felt was looking into the heart of life The book club relishes a challenging read and Marsha has been instrumental in keeping them reading books which ask difficult questions in part, this comes from her time at the University of California in Berkeley during the ferment of the 1970s. We're reading things like Black Like Me, as a lot of the black power books and a lot of um, feminist literature. So it was just a vehicle for new ideas. And I think that's really important as you get older to, to keep 
keep reading books that are um, a bit uncomfortable. We would always read a book, book of prize choices and short lists and things like that. But we've gone back and read things like um, Joyce's Portrait of the Artists and we've a lot of Jane Austen and Bronte. And, and it's fascinating if you read something like Bronte or Joseph Conrad, one of these things that you had to read in high school, you read it so differently as an adult. And so this understated literary revolutionary came to Ireland and found a way to read with other women in the Irish countryside. She started them off with Sylvia Plath's The Bell Jar, a semi-autobiographical novel by the poet Sylvia Plath, documenting the descent into depression, mental illness and suicide attempts of its young female protagonist. Deirdre, one of the original members of the group, remembers this first meeting. And I always remember the first book we did. It was The Bell Jar by Sylvia Platt. It was extraordinary. And, I mean, it wasn't a book that we would normally read, you know, so um, it opened up a whole world. But that was the beginning of it. And, um, you know, it's funny. I'll, I'll always remember the first book. But um, after that, <laughs> we've done so many now at this stage. The book club survived Sylvia Plath, as well as the political controversy of the next book, a biography of Oliver Cromwell, and gradually a structure emerged, a presentation on the book by one of them to lead into the discussion. This is about half an hour of literary biography, reviews, quotes and questions to guide the subsequent debate before a late supper. Nan's daughter Mary remembers her mother coming home from those early meetings. She would come home full of it and, you know, interested in everything that was discussed and there would be great discussions about religion or racism or you name it, there were discussions on it, which was fantastic in the 1970s in Ireland. Mm. I'm very proud of her now, of having been part of it and having stuck with it. But it was great for me to see as, as a young girl... Um, growing up in a farming family that, you know, she was married to a farmer, rural Ireland, 1970s, and this was a very new concept, the whole concept of a book club and the whole concept of her going out to a book club at night once a month. And it was great for me to see her at the kitchen table, usually the day before the book club, in a complete panic, trying to catch up uh, with reams of paper and cuttings and research and other books about the book she was researching. Researching for the meetings is all very well now that information is a few taps away on a keyboard. But before the internet, such literary research meant trips into Cork City Library and wrestling with microfiche and photocopiers. Imelda remembers the dark days of researching before the internet. And in the old days, you'd have to go into the library, up to the section upstairs through all the newspapers, try and find the publishing date. Oh, it was deadly. And you'd be sitting there for hours up in the library going through all the newspapers. And you'd think you'd have the right date and to be the wrong date. You'd go through the Times and the Observer. The book club presentation was daunting for some members, like Mary Purcell. You see, it was, I suppose it was different for the girls who had been to college and some of them had been to college and had done uh, assignments and things like that. I had never done an assignment in my life. And Patsy and I, the first time, we there was a book to be reviewed. And we knew it was our turn, Patsy Dwight and myself. So we decided we'd do it jointly. 
Whilst meeting on the third Tuesday of every month is sacrosanct, other aspects of the book club are sort of improvised. There isn't a rotor for whose turn it is to host the evening, nor for whose turn it is to do a presentation, but they all sort of know when it's their turn. As the group evolved, its makeup became more diverse. What nationality are you? I'm English. Are you? I am. Oh, are you? Yeah, I've been in Ireland for 15 years now. I thought you were uh, foreign. Well, you are, I suppose, if you're English. (laughs) I am foreign now. (laughs) The book club acted as an initiation into all kinds of Irishness. Five of the 12 women in the group are outsiders. Three of them are English, Patsy from East Anglia, Seska from Reading and Pat from Liverpool. That's just because I'm coming from England and and you are an outsider and you always feel an outsider. And I think it's so nice to be able to (laughs) be enfolded a group. But I think there's actually a lovely openness between people. You know, that we don't... You know, they wouldn't sit there and say, well, I mustn't say that because Patsy's here and she's British, you know. That people would just say what they wanted to say. And I think that's one of the joys of it, really, as well. Apart from that rhythm of, oh, it's so Tuesday, it's book club, um, through the years, that it, it's another layer of friendship and support through all those ups and downs that I think is very valuable and I would certainly value it. I was fascinated by this wealth of literature. People um, like Somerville and Ross writing about the Irish countryside and other novelists exposed layers upon layers of Irish life and Irish society that I wouldn't have penetrated. People would not have sat me down and said what had happened to them or to, more likely to their families as children. And two are American, Marsha from New York State and Lee from Virginia. Uh, there's a good mix in the book club. So when we have discussions, there's a good mix of ideas and the way people think. And it gave me a huge insight into the way that Irish people think. I learned um, a lot about Irish authors that I wouldn't have read because we were reading a lot of Irish authors. I learned a lot about the politics of Ireland, which I wouldn't have been familiar with. And Americans are dire outside of the continental United States. Also into the troubles, I wasn't really aware of, I'd heard of it, but I didn't really know what was involved and how strong emotions still were about uh, British occupation and, you know, that kind of thing. So it was all just a great insight into Ireland, really. Uh, And when people get caught up in a discussion, I think really true feelings come out. And um, it wouldn't be as masked, maybe, as it would be if you were having just a normal conversation with somebody else. I felt people were much more polite here than they would be in America. They'd they'd really get stuck into arguments and argue with each other and um, disagree. And when, when I came here, I found people are very reticent about disagreeing with each other. You feel you can't disagree with someone's opinions without hurting someone's feelings. Uh, yes, I felt I, I put my foot in it a number of times. <laughs> you know, by putting forth an opinion that I, I felt was more true than somebody else's, you um, 
you do cause a bit of hurt. And I, I think I had to learn to, to temper my um, opinions and not speak out so much. The women of the book club are from different backgrounds and countries, but their passion for books and reading connects them closely. Oh, books. Books were always the Christmas presents exchanged and we read an awful lot and my parents read an awful lot and we loved books and so we still love books. I think we all genuinely love to read as well. So there's a, I think there's just a real commitment there. We'd all be committed women, I would say. Before these women were women, even before they were teenagers, back when they were 12 little girls who loved to read, finding somewhere to bury yourself in a book was sometimes tricky, but there were always places, quiet, secret spaces for reading. I used to read under the bedclothes and my mother would discover me and that was well betide me. The book room was a small little room uh, with a huge wardrobe and a big trunk which was filled with all sorts of treasures and I spent a lot of hours on my own up sitting in the book room reading whatever I was reading and there was a window and a nice light coming in and nobody bothered you when you were there. I remember as a child, um, when I was sick, I'd, I'd be reading uh, voraciously to try to, to pass the time. I had this divan. It was in the end of the sitting room underneath all the bookshelves, so I'd read practically everything on the bookshelf. A flashlight in the bed was always a great place to read a book. I used to sit in the corner <laughs> because it was beside the kitchen and the hot press was in the dining room. It was always kind of warm there, and I used to sit there in the corner and read books. It had a back stairs and some box rooms, and in the box rooms were boxes of books. And again, I could be found when I had disappeared in the box room, making my way through um, books that belonged to my mum and my aunt. And up trees and attic rooms, in warm corners and under bedclothes, a few decades before Marsha Will schooled them with the bell jar, these little girls were reading books about boarding schools and horses. I used to love um, these school stories, you know, Mallory Towers and all those. I, I had friends that were, like myself, horse-mad and reading things like My Friend Flicka and Black Beauty and sort of sharing all these, these horse stories were what, what really got me going, I think, as a youngster. I'd read every horse story I could get my hands on at the time. <laughs> The Little Match Girl. You know the one about the Little Match Girl? She weren't all the middle. We cried every time I read it. <laughs> Graduated from the Bobsy Twins to Nancy Drew, which was the detective. And, you know, she was a kind of a teenage detective. And when I got to Shelley School and all those, I just thought they were just magic, you know. And I, of course, when I went away to school, I thought it was going to be the same, but it wasn't. <laughs> My mother, as a tomboy, would have read all the in those days, the Biggles books and the adventure books. And my aunt would have read all the chalet school books and I would have not been inclined to read Biggles. And I would have been much more keen at that age to read chalet school books. I remember one time, though, and I don't know how I got it, and I don't know whether Mummy gave it to me or not. I was 12, near going on 13 and I went to school. 
I read Gone with the Wind and I thought this was so exciting and I, I took to the bed to read it and I stayed in bed three days and read it. It's the third Tuesday of February 2012, and the book for discussion is Edna O'Brien's new collection of short stories, Saints and Sinners. Oh, Nan was very funny at one stage about Edna O'Brien. She was disgusted, she was absolutely horrified, and uh, she thought, no, she wouldn't read any more of those dirty books. And you look at it now, and you wouldn't see anything in it, you know. Tonight, it's Pat's turn to introduce the author especially O'Brien's wrangles with the Irish censor and the banning of her first novel, The Country Girls. The Irish centre was so appalled by the book that he banned it. The same fate awaited her next six novels. Really? Yes, six more. The story goes that four copies unaccountably turned up in a shop in Limerick. One is supposed to have induced a seizure in a woman reader. The other three were bought by the O'Brien parish priest who took them back to Tumgraney and burned them publicly. Her mother used to tell her as a child that she was the ugliest child ever born. Oh, the lakes and the mountains, yeah, the bleak yeah, winters yeah, and the rushes and the rivers. The working mother. That's a very old I think that is. I think that is the case. She grew up. She's a very good writer. I'm not taking it from her that she is an extremely good writer. Also, men here are seen as either selfish, drunk, violent, greediness. Or incompetent. Oh. Yeah. Is there ever a good man in the stories? No. No, no. not one. Girls, now come in and help yourself. No, are you okay? Yeah. No. Oh, Jones, what are you having? And they, they're lovely and crispy. Oh, they're lovely. Mm. Yeah. I love making peas. So do I. That's divine. So you've got like a mousse filling and then a ganache. Yeah. I want more now. Let me tell you about the late suppers taken after these literary discussions. Skills normally used for the feeding of families or to celebrate anniversaries, birthdays, Christmases or ordinary Sundays are here conjured for their delight alone. Between these women, laughter and conversation circulate easily and these delicacies are made with pleasure to bring pleasure. I think Irish people are particularly loyal, you know. I think once they start something, they, they continue and they go to each other's houses and they always show up because they don't want to let anyone down. We dress up a small bit, put on makeup. You know, it's a real occasion to come out for the, the, the once uh, a month meeting and we'd make special effort, um, you know, making a little evening supper at the end of it, people go to quite, quite great lengths. It's wonderful. <laughs> a few decades ago, Marsha had the idea of making a book club recipe book with favourite recipes contributed by each of the women in the group. And for each recipe, Marsha selects a quote from a novel. Mint cake or the sun also rises, lemon souffle, and intersperse them with... Um, with little quotations. One from Brideshead Revisited for Elderflower Wine. The Salmon Moose one has the one from Good Behaviour. 
one about apples uh, from um, Arnold Bennett's Old Wives' Tale. So we had great fun with that. But as you can see, it's very old and worn, and it's time we did a new recipe book. Because <laughs> the eating together and sharing recipes is almost as important <laughs> to some of our members as the reading of the books. And people go to great trouble, and they try not to repeat themselves. <laughs> I, I use this book a lot, actually. The book club started with the idea of a simple supper after the literary discussion, but Deirdre remembers how culinary exuberance took over. You know, at the beginning, I always remember we were saying, now three items only, uh, sandwiches, uh, then something maybe savoury, a quiche, and maybe a cake, which is impossible, you can't. I mean, people, you know, I think they enjoy baking. It's usually around 12 o'clock when I get home anyway. (laughs) We're all good cooks, which is lovely. (laughs) Makes for a nice supper after. I couldn't really resist all those raspberry meringues. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. To die for roulades, fanciful sandwiches, beautiful sponge cakes. Well, you know, we were very abstemious. It's only in the last ten years we're having a glass of wine. And the fumes of sweet golden wine seem to lift us a finger's breadth above the turf and hold us suspended. Edna O'Brien may have been banned in Ireland for a decade and shocked Nan, but it was an acclaimed American science fiction writer called Kurt Vonnegut who raised the hackles of the book club most unanimously. I love Kurt Vonnegut, and he would not be a real popular author here. Um, And I was turned on to Kurt Vonnegut in college, and I just love the way that he writes. But when I made the book club read it, Only one person in the book club actually liked him. And I think three people started reading it and said they couldn't finish the book. (laughs) So it wasn't really a very good book club discussion. And how long had you been in the book club before you suggested? Oh, a long time. (laughs) Years. (laughs) Years. Over 15 years, I'd say, before I uh, ventured in with Kurt Vonnegut. Has there ever been a big row? I think I remember Lee doing Kurt Vonnegut because she loves Kurt Vonnegut, and everybody. He's funny, but everyone there was a big discussion because nobody liked it. Do you remember they didn't like no, science fiction? They didn't like they didn't the, um, they didn't. kind of the wind up. You'd be surprised how much Kurt Vonnegut comes. Out. I know. I don't think very many of them like Kurt Vonnegut. But, um... It keeps coming back this image of the camellias on the moss. March 2012, The Elegance of the Hedgehog by Muriel Barbary, a gorgeous, aching, hilarious French novel about unlikely and magnificent love. We should say, was she in love with Kirkcourt? Oh, oh, yes, she was. In love with his mind. Yes, 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 with his mind. Do you think she was? Or she was. Or she was. Or she was. Or she was. The book club chose a French novel in preparation for their trip to Paris in April 2012. They're an intrepid lot, ready for literary adventure at the drop of a hat. A few years ago, the group went to the home of the Bronte sisters in a village called Haworth in Yorkshire. This bleak, lonely setting was the inspiration for many of the Bronte novels. Creepy, wild, desolate, just what we imagined it to be. I think it was in April. We usually go in April. 
and with the whole place to ourselves. We had the run of the house. And I remember the thing that struck us more than anything were how tiny the Brontes were, the girls. They had little gloves and little shoes. They were, you know, little minute little shoes. And then we decided to get the atmosphere of the whole thing. We'd, we'd go down through the graveyard and out into the moor. And we got drenched. <laughs> Their travels also took them to the Oxford Literary Festival, where they met the crime writer P.D. James. But I'll never forget, we had to go up these stone steps with our cases. And then the highlight of it was that we met P.D. James. We arrived in this uh, room upstairs, and there were about three other people, and the rest of us. She talked away, and then uh, she said, oh, come around near me, and we all gathered around her. And we chatted away to her, and she was wonderful. And, you know, she's in, I think she's 90 now. And I remember saying to her at one stage, I said it was terrifying. I'm trying to remember now which one it was. But anyway, there was a terrifying scene, and I said I was really scared reading that bit. And uh, she, I said it was so well written, and she said I was scared too. Now their children are grown, these women are able to go on such jaunts. But there was a time when they were less free to explore the literary world, a time two or three or more decades ago when their children were very young. Mary Purcell and Siobhan juggled mothering with the demands of the book club. I remember at the beginning, uh, when it was when I was pregnant and I had three children on, under three, and I'd get the book and I'd fall asleep reading the book. Uh, more often than not, I wasn't able to finish the book. And I'd say, oh, what, what am I doing here, you know? All I wanted was to go to bed. <laughs> Our kids grew up with the book club. We managed because we wanted to go to the book club. We just did it, you know. We, uh, I remember when the book club was coming to my house once. <laughs> I can send my children to bed very early in the evening so that they wouldn't be interrupted. <laughs> and once or twice, uh, people broached the topic again, you know, should husbands join? And it was never taken seriously. <laughs> Towards the end of my time with the book club, something happens to Nan that takes my breath away. Her daughter Mary explains. She was out in the garden almost two weeks ago now and uh, was pottering, as we've been encouraging her to do. She wraps up and goes out and potters around the garden. And what transpired was there, there must have been a branch which was kind of caught or bent over and she released the branch and it snapped back into her eye. I saw this branch kind of coming down like that. There were no leaves or anything on it. And I said, that doesn't look well. And I went over to break it and it went... Whoosh. Straight into my eye. When I saw her eye, I knew straight away that this was a serious injury. So I took her straight into CUH and met my sister Una there. And um, she was assessed in the eye clinic. And they basically told us straight off that it was a very, very bad injury. That the uh, chances of restoring any sight were very, very slim. So she underwent surgery that night. And she has unfortunately lost the sight in her right eye. It's been hugely traumatic for us, but she's an amazing character and she's incredibly positive and practical. I just feel so sad for her. It was just such a cruel, unfortunate thing to happen to her, you know. But uh, Roisin was great. She brought me three books of big print, you know, which I, I really haven't settled down to yet, you know. Even though this has happened to me, one can't expect to expect to go through life without getting 
heard wallops at times. It is lovely to see now she's 84 and she's still attending the book club. And it's wonderful to see the determination on the part of the book club members to keep her in it. Just as the women of the book club ensure that Nan keeps attending, so she once showed the same care with new women joining the book club. Pat remembers when she first arrived in Ireland. She was the lady who was most welcoming to me when I joined. She was. She was the kind, kind, kind. Uh, I was a bit in awe of her because of her background. I found that I thought there was a lot of history in her background. Certainly some of the books might have shocked Nat <laughs> that we read over the years. But it's been good for her too. And I think we need somebody a little bit older than the rest of us. I think we need that. I found her background was so different to mine. And I said I'd been brought up in, with a poor family with no connections and no education. And I thought that Nan's family, when she started to talk about the past... She had lots of connections to people who were in history. I mean, we're going back to Civil War and whatever. And I found that amazing. You see, in England, the class system is so different to here, I think. Uh, in England, I wouldn't have met somebody like Nan. So I, I know she's connected to, to where she lives. Hmm. She was a lady, I think that's what it was. There is something quietly revolutionary in the regular meetings these women hold to talk about books. A space set aside from family and work and treasured by them all. The book club has sustained these women through much of their adult lives through years of having and raising children and eventually helping to raise grandchildren. Through this club, these women formed friendships that became part of the backbone of their lives. And for all of them, their book club meetings were and remain a way to reach out into the world from the Irish countryside. You know, you start with this book that's outside of all of you. Um, but in the chatting of it and the reading of it and the exploring of it together, you learn about your own, your each other's backgrounds or each other's tastes or what makes you laugh or what you hate. I think we've changed over the years too. We've got a bit more freer. <laughs> I think we've got a bit more staid. <laughs> I would say we've all mellowed a bit from what we would have been 30 years ago. We've kind of all grown old together, really, I suppose. That really is the source of it. Well, we've been together for so long now, you know. We know each other uh, very well, intimately, you know. We know what's going on in each other's lives. And um, I would hope that we would always be there for each other. But it it certainly spreads further than the third Tuesday every month, anyway. Yeah. It does. <laughs>